Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to Off the Beaten Track Podcast, episode number three. Uh, with me, Stu Whiffin. Hopefully, you're all doing well today. Uh, you've got two podcasts that are out already. If you enjoy this one, you can go back and have a little listen. Uh, we've got podcasts at so far with episode one was Scribius Pip. Episode two was Russell Lissack of Block Party. Um, and they all chose their their seven songs that, that signify points in their life. And we chatted at length, which is what we are going to do today. And let me tell you about these songs so there's a little bit of weird law regarding playing licensed music on podcasts and royalties and all of that. So where we can't play all of the songs, what we do in case you haven't heard the songs and you want to hear them or you have heard the songs before and you want to listen to them again because hearing this fires you up to to want to go and have another go. Um, we would do a Spotify playlist for each one. So the ones for Scroob and for Block, uh, Russell are up already and and today's guest will be as well. So just search Off The Beat & Track podcast on Spotify and what I'll do is I'll put all the links on the social media stuff anyway so you can just click straight through and have a little listen. Um, today's guest. Today's guest is Snowboy. Um, Snowboy is a songwriter, percussionist, um, and and a good bloke. I think that's that's something that comes comes across straight away. Um Snowboy or, or Mark as you will hear me refer to him to <clears throat> for the duration of this podcast, um, is an old friend and I think he's had maybe thirteen, fourteen um albums out, um and has toured the world with some of the biggest names in music. Um and his story's fantastic. Uh, when when somebody's talking about you know going out clubbing and, and and their musical taste being shaped by their friend that's in Talk Talk, um, and going to some of the most important clubs that our area ever had to you know had going, he, he, he's fascinating and he's and he's so knowledgeable in music and and talks with real passion and I think you're gonna really enjoy this one people so um yeah do let us know what you think um and yeah so i'm not gonna waste any more time i'm gonna get straight on with a podcast and if there are songs like i say that he, he talks about that you may not be familiar with most of them you will i'm sure but um some of the ones that you might not be head over to spotify and have a 
have a little listen to the podcast. What I will quickly say as well is it happened um, right at the very, very end, just as I was saying goodbye, batteries went. And uh, and so you'll hear me kind of cutting at the end and play the track that, that Snowball wanted to finish on. But it, it, it has no bearing on the podcast. We, we, we talk, it's literally as we're saying, thanks to each other for for the chat so enjoy episode three of off the beaten track podcast with snowboy mr 76 drop the intro music it's off the beaten track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him okay so we are going to start having a little chat now so we are in the pink toothbrush in rayleigh and i'm with my old friend not as in he's old but i've known him for a long long time <laughs> and uh i guess this evening he's snowboy hi mate nice to see you i am old by the way i'll be 57 beginning of july <laughs> you're looking good on it mate you're looking good on it okay. you, you was talking about a venue in south end earlier and I was, I was sitting here politely thinking no idea about that one that must have been well before my day yeah <laughs> uh, uh, all right well look we're gonna go straight into your first track um which is the song with the greatest intro. Um, I knew nothing about this this artist, and uh, and as soon as I started playing this stuff, which I've been listening to pretty much all day today, sort of almost sort of salsa dancing around my office. Right. And uh, so I'm going to let you pronounce the title so I don't get it wrong. Oh, it's uh, Vamanos Palmonte. So let's go to the mountain. Okay. Oh, is, that what said? is that what it means? Yeah. Okay, and that's by Eddie Palmieri? Eddie Palmieri, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. He's, he's considered, um, he's considered the, 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 the king of Latin music currently, worldwide, you know, um, and been a massive influence uh, on me, uh, and I'm very proud to say that uh, at 82 years old, he's, he's, a, he's very much a friend of the family, Every Christmas we get a package over from New York for the girls. Oh, really? Sweatshirts and T-shirts. And he, uh, two albums ago, he wrote a, a song for my album at the time um, called Snowboy Special. And he said, what else can I call it? Snowboy Special. Uh, wow. And um, he never writes for anybody in the tradition of, of his whole career. He, he ne- he's like never writes for anyone. So I couldn't believe it when he offered to write a song for me. That's quite um, an honour, isn't it? I know, and um, and the reason I chose this song, I mean, I never need a reason to recommend an Eddie Palmieri song, but the uh, the the repetitive piano figures at, at the beginning of the song are what they call a montuno, montunos, and um, and I think that this is the most most heard, the most influential montuno in like in the in the whole of uh, the salsa world, and even though. It's quite basic. It's so powerful. I mean, it's the most incredible way to start a song. You know, it's incredibly infectious as well. Yeah, infectious, like, yeah. It, it makes you want to move straight away. Exactly. Yeah. And that's Eddie Palmieri. He sounds like he's got 20 fingers when he plays these monsoonos. Um, he's still going strong at 82, faster than ever, more powerful than ever. But what an intro on this. Talk about uplifting. So we'll get on to your career in music as, yeah. as we go on over the the the, the, uh, the upcoming hour. Mm. Um, what was your sort of entry into to him? How did you discover him? Um, I, I discovered him through um, through the journey that I went on from 
discovering jazz, jazz funk, Latin music from going to the gold mine in Canvey Island mm -hmm. in the late 70s with the like, incredibly influential uh, DJ Chris Hill. Um, he experimented with, with uh, jazz and jazz funk and Latin next to the, the disco and soul of the time and a very, very maverick uh, man and really made me want to start collecting that music and, and I found that my collection started veering very... I, even though I collect all that music and still do, um, I found myself going much more towards the jazz and towards the jazz, the more Latin jazz. And then when you start um, getting into the Latin jazz, of course, like any collector, you start honing in on certain musicians and, I, and um, artists and uh, and Eddie Palmieri I was into very very early on and that's why it's quite amazing that I, I can actually say he's a family friend of mine it's incredible yeah it is incredible yeah it really is I don't take it for granted and and not only that friend of his family as well so um uh but yeah, that was so. It was all kind of from the gold. Chris Hill's influence well, from the gold mine. Really, I want to talk more about that when we get to. I think it's track six or seven when we talk about your clubbing days because yeah. that that whole kind of can we call it southern soul scene? Yeah. Uh, of, of the jazz funk. And yeah. That, I really want to sort of know a little bit more about that because yeah. it, it fell a little bit before my time. Yes. Um, just making another reference to your age there, Mark. Yeah, I know. That's um, fine. It suits me fine. <laughs> but um, but as a, as a as a DJ as well as a, a songwriter, yeah. mm -hmm. um, the intro, yeah, like the intro is the, you know, is the make or break as a DJ, right? Yeah, that's right. I that's think right. I think you know, so many songs for me as a DJ when if you can hook them, yeah, in the first ten seconds, yeah. you know you're going to get them there for the duration of the track. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the intro, isn't it? Mm. Um, some of these songs. I mean, I've heard plenty of songs that which I'd love to have DJ'd out with, and I thought, no, it, it comes in too quick. It's going to catch the audience uh, unaware uh, in a bad way. You know, yeah. when, when a, 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 if it comes in too abrupt, um, there's, it's, you know, with a really good, with a really good um, uh, strong intro of a song, it's great because the crowd, even if even if it's an atmospheric intro before the the, the, the rhythm comes in, if it's strong enough, the 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 crowd know what's coming, don't yeah. they? They look forward. To, they look forward to when the song comes Absolutely. kicking in. Absolutely. And was there any other considerations, or did you go straight for this from the off? Was there any others that you sort of thought about, maybe? It's, you see, the, the thing is like yourself, Stu, I've got such a huge collection. I'm into so many different styles of music. It, you know, I could have chosen uh, probably a top 10 of, of every style of music I'm into yeah. with, with atmospheric beginners. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, uh, atmospheric beginnings. Um, and then when I actually sat and thought about it, I thought, you know, I, I can't think of a, a more dynamic and atmospheric beginning than, than this song. So... Uh, yeah, this is why it had to be this one. Fantastic. Well, what I will sort of make clear to all the listeners as well, um, if you head over to Spotify and uh, and search off the Beat and Track podcast, uh, Mark's playlist will be up there as well, so you can go and uh, venture into um, other tracks from from the artists and uh, that that are on Mark's list. So we're going to get a bit more on to to talking about our, our home county now, and, yeah. and but the, the, the track I've asked you for your your second on the playlist is the first song that you remember hearing that had a, an emotional impact on you. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> I don't know which one you, you've well, chosen what, on what there. What I quite like about it is, is the fact that I try and ask the guests not to be too cool no. and try and go, oh, well, I was listening to John Peel when I was fired. Yeah, and, yeah. Because no one was. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, you, you've got all sorts of cheesy records that you grow up with listening yeah. to as a kid. And, yeah. and however uncool they are, they shape you, right? Yeah. And, 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 and they, but I'm going to ask you to start with that one. Uh, start with, oh, uh, oh, Sugar Sugar by the Arches. Yeah. Now, um, that was the second record I bought. Well, no, because the next question, I'm going to ask you what that record was that you bought first. Okay, yes, of so, course, yeah, yeah. Well, so sh the reason Sugar Sugar by the Arches was really important to me is when I was a kid, uh, and in fact, right up into my mid-twenties, I was a huge comic collector. I mean, not I collected comics when I was a kid. Obviously, you don't have money to buy huge amounts. But um, there used to be these... Uh, as well as the usual Marvel and DC, uh, what was popular in the 60s and 70s, and for, for some reason they stopped importing them over here, were, um, as, uh, were comics called Archie Comics. And it was the adventures of um, the uh, typical American teenagers as they promoted it. And it was Archie and his friends Jughead and Reggie and his girlfriends Betty and Veronica. Um, and I was obsessed by Archie comics when, and I, and I was in love with Betty and Veronica. They, you know, I had a little crush on them. Yep. They're only like comic characters. Yeah. Um, and so there I was at seven years old, um, watching Top of the Pops, and all of a sudden on there is Sugar Sugar by the Archies. I'd never heard it before. I wasn't up with pop records at, at that age, and and there they were. I mean, you know, obviously it was animation yeah but uh you can go on youtube and watch the video it's a very popular video isn't it it's yeah. very famous it's animated that's right yeah that's right and so there i am at seven years old completely obsessed with archie and in my head they, they you know you know they were real and to and to and to suddenly see them animated on Moving. top of the pops yeah. it, it, it you know i I'm, it was like an electric like a lightning bolt going through me it was um very, very emotional, almost brought me to tears because I just was obsessed, you know, and, yeah. loved, them, and loved them so much, as a kid would do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really was an emotional experience. Um, and since, and then once Sugar Sugar came out, of course, then I Did started... Did that turn you on to music? Um, yeah, well, we've always had music in the house. You know, my, my, both my parents really love music, so it's... It's always it's always been around the house. What was but, on but, as a kid growing up indoors? Uh, it was all because it was the sixties. It would all be things like the Beatles and the Searchers, yeah. um, uh, uh, Nat King Cole, um, Cliff Richard, The Shadows. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm still a massive shad early Cliff and Shadows fan even now like the 50s early yeah. 60s stuff cause, and I think it's because it's that comfort thing it reminds me of when I was a and, kid and, and I think his, his credibility gets overlooked sometimes you know yeah. and, and I think people you know in this day and age maybe think of Devil Woman and Mistletoe and Wine yeah. and stuff like that and, yeah. and obviously some of the stuff he's done obviously going through the 70s and 80s and that isn't yeah. quite so, so credible yeah. um, but I think people overlook. He was our first true rock and roller, really, wasn't he? Yeah. Like, you know, I think he. You know, he was he our Elvis. I don't know. Well, like, well, yeah. I mean, you only had a handful. I mean, there was obviously lots of also ran uh, British rock and roll acts, but you know, 
Cliff Richard, Tommy Steele, Billy Fury, yep. uh, Marty Wild, you know, I mean, Terry Dean. Yep. But, you know, that, that everyone was trying to be the... the but but I, th I think that Cliff was probably our... It, it, he had such an, a, a British sound. There was nothing sounding yeah. like him in America, especially with the shadows backing him, of course, which, yeah. I mean, again, the shadows, such a, a unique sound there was there was no one ever sounded like them ever before and and, and let's you know let's look at apache i mean oh well yeah i mean you know, incredible just absolutely fucking phenomenal yeah. and, and obviously i imagine as a percussionist the incredible bongo beat band yeah. i mean their version <laughs> well, of Brian apache Bennett, amazing like, yeah well i mean I, I remember um one of our guests on this podcast dj destruction like when, when we was very young he was the first guy that I knew I had turntables and he was at the sort of evolution of break dancing and we was all yeah. about 12 and, and he got Citronic decks out of Tandy. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he had the, um, whether it was the greatest hits of the incredible Bongo Beat band, it was yeah. the one with the bongos on the cover, right. of white sleeve. And, with a patch on it. Yeah. yeah. And it had a patch of Bongo Rock on it. Bongo and, Rock, yeah. And, and I just remember, like, he had two copies of it and he, I remember just sitting there and he played Apache mm. and my mum was a crazy Cliff Richard fan yeah. and so I'd grown up listening to Cliff in the Shadows and yeah. watching Summer Holiday and, and all of that and when I heard Apache with that breakbeat behind it yeah. I was like this is phenomenal yeah. and like the impact mm. that that track has had on hip hop yeah. and you name it it's such an influential record and Let's not overlook the shadows there. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, they've more than earned their stripes. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. And, and, that, and that's so, and that early stuff is so atmospheric as well, isn't it? It's mm. like a wall of sound. Yeah. You know? Absolutely unbelievable. There was nothing like it in the world. Um, but, you know, but with the arches, um, when, when I, we've, we've Sugar Sugar, then they, even at such a young age, the penny dropped that there must be other singles by them and, and then I oh I think I found in there used to be a little I can't even remember what it was called now a little record shop in Hadley at the time and I and the, the, the follow up single Jingle Jangle was in there and then I suddenly found out about other singles and then they had an album out which was my Christmas present like you know these, you know these days when kids have everything for yep. Christmas don't they my Christmas present 1969 was an album yeah you know and that was my and it, and that was it was the Sugar Sugar album yeah. Arches and then then you you find out from there that they'd made other albums yeah. and so really but by the time I was nine years old you know I had I, I'd even discovered my, myself that um, that they had made other albums and somehow yeah. ordered them and got them yeah so I suppose yeah I suppose I was collecting yeah. that that was the beginning of my my collecting really I suppose because I, I know Sugar Sugar really well because obviously it was a huge pop record yeah. and and i remember the video and and obviously yeah. even as uh, you know as a kid in the in the in the 80s sort of seeing animated videos and seeing old animated videos of the jackson five and things like that it was yeah. instantly relatable as a, as a child yeah you know because it was it was colorful it was fun it was a cartoon yeah and, and it was generally be soundtracked by something very infectious and sugar sweet yeah and and yeah and I never knew that. I never knew that it come off of the back of the comic books. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because what it was is um, from the comic books. Then they, when they did a, um, when they turned the comic books into a cartoon series, M NBC cartoon series in the sixties. Um, then they put together um, a band called the Arches. Yeah. Um, and then I, I suppose it was. I suppose you could you could see the way they were thinking now, like looking back at it, um, 
you know, they, they obviously thought, oh, you know, if they form a band, capitalise on it, make some, yeah. rec- you know, we can make some records. Yeah, yeah. capitalise on it exactly. Um, so yeah, there was this. So all of Archie's friends were in the Arches. It yeah. was it was on the cartoon series every week, and each week they did a song, and eventually an album came out, um, and, a, and a single. Um, I think they had stuff out before Sugar Sugar, but that was the one that yeah. that, that went that went absolutely mad, yeah. like, a, like a worldwide hit. But for, but for me, seeing them coming to life like that in, in animation was was just beyond belief. It was like a dream come true for a little kid. You know? Yeah. And so you, you say that you bought that in a little record shop in Hadley. So where was you born, Mark? Uh, Hadley, yeah. Right, in yeah, Hadley. Born and bred in Hadley. Okay. So, all right, well, look, before we... We, we, we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. So you, you said you was probably like seven or eight. So mm. so you'd, you'd, you'd started at school. And, yeah. uh, and so when you look back on, on your school days, like mm. what track kind of really sort of rings true with, with school for you? Um... It's very interesting because in the seventies, when I was in senior school at the school discos, it was it was a time when there was a massive rock and roll explosion in the early seventies, like a big Teddy Boy revival. Yep. That'll be the day came out, and, and and a year after American Graffiti came out. These are films, obviously. Yeah. And the soundtracks were played everywhere. I mean, I remember going to there used to be a roller skating rink down Pier Hill in South End, and going there, my brother would take me. I'd be there as a, a ten-year-old. My brother was a second-generation Teddy boy. He's two years older than me. He was too young, really, as well. But anyway, but he was in charge of me. And at this roller skating rink, there was always playing the "That'll Be the Day" um, uh, uh, soundtrack, and uh, uh, in there, so he was roller skating around with this this music booming out. It was it was so incredible. It was, it was like rock and roll seemed to be everywhere in the seventies, everywhere. And then, of course, from from the rock and roll clubs, they started playing rockabilly, and of course, um, and by the mid seventies, the one had really risen to the top. That became uh, obviously a, a massive chart hit. I think even number by num- uh, even a number one. I think it got to which, which was Jungle Rock by Hank Mazell. Uh, you know, an out and out rockabilly song, and there it was. You know, even, probably number one in the, the national pop charts, and and that and that always reminds me of. of of when I was at Dean's school at the school discos, it always that song seemed to be omnipresent. That yeah. and at the hop and rock yep. and roll is here to stay. Danny and the Juniors. Yep. That, 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 it was rock and roll was everywhere. Um, That's that, in those days. But Jungle Rock in particular is as soon as I hear that song, it takes me straight back to bopping at the school discos. Jungle Rock was the first record I owned. Oh, was it? Yeah, amazing. And uh, and, and I was born in '73, and it wasn't the first record I bought, but. Um, my nan gave me two seven-inch singles, and one was that, and one was The Laughing Known by Bowie. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, because uh, yeah, that got re- re-released in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and the B side of that, I think, is called The Gospel According to David Jones. Yeah. It's a phenomenal record. Yeah. So it sounds like kind of a, a sort of shoegazy, sort of dreamy blur. And, yeah. You know, as much as I don't know if, you know, Bowie, God, God rest his soul, like ever really acknowledge that track because it is I guess you could say it's a novelty record isn't yeah, it but yeah. uh, but, yeah. um, but but Jungle Rock yeah that, that was the other one and it was I used to sort of get a few of like my parents seven inch singles and they had the, the turntable where you could stack all oh your, yeah, and yeah. Drop on, spin, one on down. the spindle yeah yeah and, and, and for, for listeners that have no idea what Mark and I are talking about here it was like you'd have your record deck you'd have like maybe 
it was probably about 30 centimetres high, this like little sort of steel rod that you put in the middle of the turntable and you'd, yeah. you'd stack sort of five or six or seven seven-inch records on it and they, as it'd play and it'd finish, it'd then drop another one down on top of it and continue yeah. sort of playing. You could kind of create your own album, I guess, yeah, couldn't you? Like yeah. a little playlist. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Amazing, uh, those record players, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. So where, where did you go to school? Uh, uh, Dean's in Thundersley. Um, and it was, it was a new school. It had only been... When I, when I went, uh, there was only one year above me. It was a brand new school. My brother was in the if you like, the first year of Dean's. And so uh, there were no years above him. So it was quite, uh, started off as quite an empty school. Yeah. Even when I was there. And obviously by the time we were, this, I think there was, there was some kind of a, there must have been a baby boom or something because uh, uh, like in the early 60s because, uh, or mid 60s because I, I do remember by the time the school was finally full uh, in my, my last year of Dean's, um, they were having to put uh, prefabs in the school because uh, they'd run out of classroom space. Oh, really? Yes, there was, there was two, m m more people than it was built for yeah. in the first place. And do you know what? I went back to a school reunion there. I mean, this was 1972, and I went back to a school reunion there a couple of years ago, and those prefabs are, are, are still there. Shut up. Yeah. Really? Still there. They were only meant to be there temporarily. That's fantastic. <laughs> Did you enjoy school? Um... Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I, I kind of drift. I, I've, I've always been a, kind of away with the fairies a little bit. You know, I've always been a, a little bit on another planet and uh, I was always very artistic. And I just kind of drifted through school. I, I, had, I had one best friend. Well, I mean, I had, I had lots of, if you like, friends. But you know, my best friend then, Graham Walker, or Spicer as he was known, he's still my, my best friend now. Um, and... But, you know, I was just the same as any other kid. You know, like, used to lock around in classes, get told off occasionally, uh, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the school years just disappeared. I, you know, I had lots of laughs. I think I was not that unruly, you know, but, but a bit of a handful probably. But, you know, it was lovely. I still look back at those days as lovely days. And so what's this? Is this the kind of early 70s? Early, this is early 70s. I mean, I'm lucky but because my... My brother was kind of, you know, he's, uh, I, I guess he, my brother was bigger than the other guys in his year. And so no one messed with my brother yeah. and his mates. And therefore, because of that, no one ever met, met, never messed with me. Because I think that they were scared that, that they might get in trouble with my brother. Yeah, brother. yeah, yeah. So, 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 so it, was, it was a very trouble-free. I was not even aware of any anything going on, like bullying or anything. I just kind of drifted through it and just kind of enjoyed it all. Really. Well, that that's kind of leads me on to my next question regarding sort of time at school. And as as you said, you was quite creative and artistic, and, and maybe at that point in this in the sort of seventies and, and perhaps also in the eighties, like. Especially growing up in Essex, yeah. like you're not really encouraged as a child, I think, to be artistic. You know, <clears> I think personally speaking, yeah. it was like you know, when I left school, it was like you go to London, you get a job, and, yeah. like, and you crack on. You know, you don't pursue dreams of being, you know, musicians and, yeah. and artists and actors. You know, that's that's for people in London that are, yeah. you know. And, and did did you feel a connection to the people that, that that you was with at school, or did you feel that you was, you know? more creative than perhaps academic um yeah i, I yes i 
that that is that is true. Yeah, you're right. I, I did I did I did feel that way. Um, it didn't make me feel it didn't make me feel like a loner, but I I I, I grew up always through the 70s um, as well, being obsessed with um, which is used to go to holiday camps once a year uh, to Warners, not not Pontins or Butlins, um, and. At the drop of a hat at the holiday camps, you know, when they used to have a, l a lunchtime sing-along or a l at the drop of a hat, I'd be up there even at 11, 12, 13 years old every year without fail, every lunchtime, you know, I'd go up there and, and sing, get a mic in my hand and sing in front of the, the organ and drums combo or whatever. So you was confident? Yeah, I was confident and, 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 I, and I kind of... So, so I grew up through the 70s wanting to be an entertainer or a comic artist, cause, because by then, by the, by then the, my comic collection had really took hold of me, and my comic obsession really took, and I was drawing all the time, all the time. And, um, they, and they, funny enough, they, 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 they did encourage that at school, uh, the, the comic art. Um, but I wanted to be either an entertainer or a comic artist. Uh, was you a show-off? Pardon? Was you a show-off? Um, I didn't think I was a show-off. I'll tell you what, I was, I was, an, um, yeah, I, I was an unbearable extrovert. <laughs> That's the same yeah. thing, Mark. It is in a way, yeah, it is in yeah. a way, but I think I was, uh, I think I was a, a pretty nervous child and I was always in people's faces without realising. Um, yeah. um, did you enjoy attention? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, the interesting thing is, now, when I... And this is the sad thing, is when I went to the careers officer uh, a little while before you, you leave school, and he said, what, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a comic artist. And in America, of course, even then, they had colleges for, for comic sure. art. And I, over here, as he said, he said, I, I, I've got nowhere to recommend you. I don't know. He said, I don't even understand really what it is that you, that you want to do. He said, the nearest thing you could probably do is... Is, is go to uh, you know study graphic design uh, you know at college, and um, so I ended up going to Southend Tech uh, to uh, study graphics for three years, and and I knew more or less straight away. I I, I mean I had an amazing time there for three years, but I, it wasn't at all what I wanted. There was no chance in any way at all of doing any comic art. It was all about advertising more than anything. Sure. And um, so, so that was a bit of a dream crushed. The only way I could kind of get that out, you know, so the school didn't really understand, even though they kind of liked me drawing for the school magazine and stuff like that. Uh, they, they didn't really understand that it was, they probably thought it was some kind of a fad. They didn't probably, over here at that time, probably until 2000 and AD, came along as a British comic. I don't think that uh, most people really took comics seriously over here. Beano Dandy top yeah, and, and, and yet and yet yeah and yet Beano and Dandy and that you know you look at that artwork it's actually absolutely incredible and yeah. all those comics that we all grew up with but uh, 2008 kind of made comics cool didn't it yeah. as it were and um, but yeah so so yeah so I was disappointed that I I I couldn't actually do what I wanted to do for a living I couldn't pursue, pursue that while I was at college I did draw for comic fanzines which was a yeah. Which, which, was a, which was a good thing. So it, to a certain degree, that it, I, I got that out of my 
system. But the odd thing is, is that I hated what I was doing at college so much, even though I enjoyed it socially. And of course, the art department and the fashion department were all in the same building. So we were all really creative. Re we're, all really, we're all really creative. Uh, um, and there was so much, there was so much going on, you know. Two it's got more of a connection now. Yeah, there was more of a connection, yeah. I mean, because Two-Tone had, had just come out and there was, a, there was a mod revival. The Rockabee thing was really strong. Um, like in, in the years where I was there, Dave Garn was there. Yeah. Anderson Moyer was, was there. Um, obviously, Paul Webb yeah. uh, from, from Talk Talk. Um, and... Um, the, and um, Steve Linard, you know, the, the, the fashion guru. Uh, there was, it was the fashion, you know, and of course this was 1978, 79, 80, where I was at college. So there was that whole kind of post-punk thing Do you know happening. what? Well, and, I, I, it's I, unbelievable. What they've recently on. been showing um, a series of, like, Top of the Pops from Top of the Pops 79. Yeah. And you don't realise, because I always think, oh, I'm not a big fan of 70s music. Yeah. And then when you see like 79 on top of the pops, yeah. the multitude of genres yeah. that were in the charts at that point, you, like you say, with ska, punk, yeah. and like, and then you had the kind post -punk, of post-punk, the new wave, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, 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 the early knockings of that. and yeah. rockabilly with the... Exactly. And you say the, the mod revival stuff. Matchbox and all that, mod yeah. revival, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It was, you know, and then there was still... The was undertones. Still, yeah, you know, absolutely. And there was still the, the, the last days of disco. And, yeah, yeah. You know, there was so much going yeah. on in music. And, yeah. And, and, it, and I now, on a separate podcast, I discussed this, that if I could go back to any time, I mm. think it would be then to yeah. experience like what that would have been like to have seen punk happen, yeah. you know, because... It scared me when punk happened. It Did happened it? when I was just before I left school and I remember a couple of guys at school w w wearing jam jam shoes those two-tone shoes and I remember thinking and, and they're not outrageous shoes at all are they but no. I knew they kind of represented punk at the time and I was and it kind of it was it all felt very very scary uh, was you drawn to it though pardon was you drawn to it no I wasn't I, I was I was drawn to it soon after but at the time I was as shocked as anyone was because I think there was such media hysteria about it because um, I, I always think that, like, as, as a kid, when I when I would see things like I remember sitting watching Top of the Pops with my parents, mm. you know, every Thursday night religiously, everyone watched Top of the Pops. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and unfortunately, there is no TV shows like that anymore. Where no. you know that was your bible for what was happening in pop music. Mm. And, and and I remember seeing like um, seeing Culture Club for the first time mm. on Top of the Pops, yeah. and, and and that the hysteria of like, yeah. Is that a boy? Is that a girl? You yeah. know, and it was that, you know, people were legitimately like scared and thought, what, what is, you know, what, what, you know, yeah. George, what is it? Yeah, yeah. You know, people didn't know. And nowadays, yeah. you know, it seems, and the same with the pistols, you know, mm. when you see pistols on Bill Grundy and that, mm. you just think, you look at it now and you laugh and you just yeah. think it's funny. But at the time, the outrage, yeah. you I know. Yeah, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. And, and we was all talking about it at school next day and we were genuinely scared. You know, when you consider what a, what a load of old rubbish it was, really, like, you yeah. know, with Malcolm McLaren's kind of concoction or whatever. I mean, it was, I'm not saying the music's rubbish or the fashion, but, you know, uh, the, you know the fact how contrived it, it was yeah. to be outrageous. Um, at the time, it felt very dangerous and very antisocial, but I think that people just kind of got swept away 
with 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 the hysteria of, of it, or you know about how scary it was. And actually, that when you actually look at it, it was they're just great records and yeah. very well produced. I mean, Absolutely. never mind the bollocks. What a well produced record that is! Incredible, yeah. incredible. Well produced, well played. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, so 1979 was amazing, and of course, you know, and this was just kind of on the cusp of, of even though it was a term that that they themselves hated, but it was just, you know, just on the cusp of that whole new romantic thing. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, along with the blitz going on in London, the, 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 this very club that we're sitting in at the moment, when it was called Crocs before Pink Toothbrush, and this was just as important in some ways as, as the blitz in London. It happened at the same time. Well, I really want to talk about yeah. your experiences of here, because you was here before I was here. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll get on to that when, when, when I start to discuss yeah. clubbing and, and when, you know, when you sort of, left college and had started to sort of dip your toes into that. But yeah. I want to just go back quickly to the first record that you actually went out and bought. Mm. Um, the first record I actually went out and bought was, um, it was a double-sided single. It was 1966. I was five years old and it was the theme to Thunderbirds with the theme to the Avengers on the other side. Oh, right. That's I'd, a solid I'd, record. Yeah, I know, by John Barry. Um, and yeah, yeah, that was, you know, like any kid of my age... You know, Thunderbirds was everything. I mean, yeah. you know, you had to. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Be there to, to see the impact that Thunderbirds made. It was yeah. everywhere. You know, it was... Um, and yeah, that was my single and God knows how many times I must have played it as a kid. Do you remember where you bought it? Um, again, this... <laughs> This little—I'll I'll th- probably think of the name of it in a minute—but this little—it was the same one. Little record shop in Hadley. It was a weird one because it sold television sets and radiograms, yeah, and the latest pop records. Yeah, you know. So it was like, yeah, it was quite. And they, they all did in those days. It was quite weird. So was that? I mean, to talk about sort of record shops in in Essex. I mean, mm. we've, we've, you know, on previous guests like. Um, that there've been guys that are in their sort of late twenties and early thirties, and by then, the the the, 
vinyl superstores like Virgin and HMV had manifested by then, and yeah. and and there wasn't many for, for me growing up. I've spoke to a few guests, and, and none of them can recall Brickass Records in Greys. Oh yeah, which L- yeah Lloyd, Lloyd, mm. and uh, who's, who's who's my uh, my taxi driver now. Oh and, right, uh, right, yeah, yeah. I grew up with Lloyd's daughter. Oh and, okay. Uh, he lives in the next road along to me, and and the impact that that record shop had, yeah, was was phenomenal. You know, it was just just a tiny little brick shack yeah. in the middle of nowhere in Greys mm. and I mean nowadays health and safety would have shut it down yeah. because you walked in there and would literally just tread over bundles of vinyl all over the floors yeah. and 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 you could barely see Lloyd's head behind the counter and yeah. you had a big sound system in there and yeah. and you'd go in there and have all the new imports and and it was it, it was nothing alternative it was very much disco Jazz funk soul, and yeah. when I was going there, hip hop, and, yeah. and then I know well, he was he was always in front of like you know like the garage thing, yeah, uh, and um, and house and, as well, and, uh, yeah, drum and bass, house, drum and bass. Yeah, for some reason, Lloyd seemed to be right at the front, yeah, uh, with 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 all of that, yeah, you know, all, all the way along. Did you know he? Did you, did you know he's a singer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen his band a few times. Have you? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I I don't know what his band is like now, but. Here, when, when this was Crocs, there used to be a jazz night here on a Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, put on by Record Man Records of Rayleigh, an import, soul, uh, record, import shop. And, um, and they used to have a jazz funk, a jazz and jazz funk band here every... No, Wednesday night, Wednesday night it was called. Um, uh, it was on. And, uh, yeah, Lloyd's, Lloyd ha- was in a jazz funk band at that time. I mean, we're talking about 81, 82 then. Okay. And uh, that's the first time I met Lloyd before I knew he was a record dealer. And he right. has really high falsetto yeah. voice, isn't yeah. he? So you, wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it for such a time. No, he's, he's a big burly fella, isn't yeah. he? So, um, well, this, this brings us on perfectly to, uh, to, to talking about this place and, and, and your, your formative years as a, as a boy about town. Yeah. And, uh, so I've asked you to pick a song that soundtracked your clubbing years. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm a fan of this guy and, uh, and, and very much this track as well. So I'll, I'll let you introduce this one. Yeah, George Benson, The World Is A Ghetto. It, it's, it, for like a jazz funk record, it's got everything in there. It's epic, isn't it's, it? It's just, it's just an epic. And, nine and, minutes long, isn't it? Yeah. And I remember the first time, I, I, I was already familiar with this record from, my, from going around my friend Paul Webb's house uh, for, who went on to be a, a, one of the formative, uh, one of the original members of Talk Talk, and found one of the founder members. Um, when uh, I used to go around to Paul's house, and all I listened to was rockabilly and and doo wop and hillbilly and blah blah blah. When I was 16, 17, and he was trying to shove all this music down my throat, and, uh, rock music and and jazz fusion and 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 uh, and, and this this album. Uh, in flight. It, this is off of an album called In Flight, and uh, so, and it, all this music sounded very alien to me. But after a while, it, it suddenly started to kind of sink in, into me somehow or other, into the brain. Uh, well, they call it an earworm, or whatever yeah, they yeah, call yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And so the first time I went to the gold mine uh, in the late in 1978. Uh, I mean, Chris Hill you know, say no more, you know, one of the greatest DJs there, will, there ever will be is for taste, second to none. And he, and I remember him playing The World is a Ghetto and I just, it was just like, I, I, 
because I was already familiar with it, never heard it in a club before. I'd hardly ever been to a, a club before playing that kind of music and hearing The World is a Ghetto in that club, it, it just kind of, um, everything made sense all of a sudden. It's seeing everyone, because I'd never seen anyone dance to it. I didn't even know yeah. it was a, a song that you would dance to. It's the best feeling ever when, when you've been listening to something that, that has resonated with you and then you go and you're of an age where you can go into a club and you can hear it for a system and you can see that there's another three, 400 people loving it like yeah. you love it. It's, yeah. it's such a, a beautiful moment. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's right, that's right. And, and, and when I hear that song, to this day, I'm back at the gold mine in October 78. So tell yeah. us a little bit about the gold mine because um, it was a, a scene that um, I was a little bit too young for. Yeah. And, and it's something that when people talk about movements in music and, 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 and scenes, yeah. the jazz funk soul scene, it was it was it screamed Essex, didn't it? And it and, did, it did, yeah. And Chris Hill is a, 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 an Essex boy as well, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, he's from um, Ockenden. Yep, yeah, he's son. He's son Damien listens to this. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was a remarkable, a remarkable um, man, Chris. And the, the all I remember when I was at college, there was there was this buzz around college about. Um, the mighty Chris Hill returning to the gold mine because he'd, he'd left he'd left the gold mine in 1970 late 1975 because he he kind of single-handedly created this kind of swing revival playing swing at the Soul Club and it and it all of a sudden it spawned like everyone was turning up dressed in Fawlty's uh, yeah. clothing and stuff like that um, and Chris it got so big that it, the actual fashion of swing kind of swamped the importance of what the gold mine was about and um so the uh, the same brewery had a um i can't remember which brewery chain it was now but they they had the the lacy lady in seven kings uh, uh, near ilford and um so chris went to the lacy lady f for a few years and that, that it was just as important there as it was the gold mine but um and then in the 1978 Chris, uh, I, haven't f I haven't really asked him why he came back to the gold mine, but anyway, he did. And it was his big, big advertising campaign in the papers. Chris Hill returns to the gold mine. It was October, I remember. And, uh, and this was the buzz around college, around the fashion college, around the art college. Chris Hill's coming back to the gold mine. I didn't know who he was from Adam, you know. But, but was you along for the ride? It's when, yeah, I more or less got dragged along kicking yeah. and screaming, really. Um, uh, but as soon as I stepped in there, it like a, hit me like a ton of bricks. The atmosphere, the clothing in there, because it was just pre... It was, in that, it was kind of... It was post-punk, if you like. You know, a lot of those original punks, a lot of those uh, late, late 75, 76 punks, after a year, they, they, all the ones that were into it for the fashion and not the music came out. Weren't cool anymore. Yeah, yeah it wasn't cool anymore. And they went off to their Bowie nights and stuff like that up in London. And, um, and they got back into their soul. Uh, was that through, like, Young Americans and stuff like that? Um, no, no. They, they were... Because this was the interesting thing. Is It's pretty well documented anyway. Is that the original punks, the Bromley contingent, they were, they were all regulars at Chris Hill's um, when he was at the, the Lacey Lady. Right. Um, they were, you know... Rob, Susie Ballion, Susie, um, 
Billy Broad, Billy Idol, that is, uh, John Lydon, um, uh, Bernie Rhodes, who went on to manage The Clash, um, Mick Jones of The Clash, as Chris Hill said, Mick Jones were one of the best soul dancers in, in the club. Really? These, yeah, all the, the punk fashion, that we all, we all, what we all think of as punk, the Vivian Westwood, McLaren look, uh, they were all dressing like that in soul clubs, and this was before a punk record had even been made. So, you know, that was the fashion, that was the soul f fashion of, of these, all, the, of the highest, you know, the real, the, the, this was how the real heavy fashion and people dressed um, when they were going to the soul clubs. All that lot were, were at the gold mine. Uh, sorry, that. the Lacey Lady, yeah. Never knew that. Yeah, yeah. The second Clash gig ever was at the Lacey Lady. Chris did a punk night on a, on a Thursday night. I don't know how long it lasted. I've seen a poster for it as well, and it was quite funny. It was punk night. You know, Brilliant. The Clash was supported by Slaughter and the Dogs on that one. Brilliant. And there was hardly anyone there, 50 people. But I've spoken to Bernie Rhodes about, about the, the Lacey Lady, and, and Bernie says that he, he, he to this day, he still... Pay, got the most massive respect for Chris Hill for putting on a punk night as, yeah. as well as his soul, um, soul events. Um, and um, yeah, so the original punks were soul, were were soul boys and girls, if you like. So all that lot kind of when they came, when they when punk started getting silly with all the spitting, they yeah. kind of went back into the soul well because yeah. when I went to the gold mine in late seventy late seventy eight, the, the it was the fashion in there was it was so intense and light and heavy because um, you're only a, a kind of a, a year or so away from the new romantic thing yeah. if you, I hate using that term new romantic but you know the fashion was you know how outrageous that fashion was and of course that was how it was at the gold mine but in a jazz funk night and so moving on to to where we're sitting now yeah so how did you go from that whole sort of soul scene to, to come in to Crocs, which is now the, the toothbrush. Yes. Um, the, what was interesting was, again, it's going back to my friend uh, Paul Webb, I have to say, and I've told Paul this more recently, that what an influence he... he, ne he never occurred, it never occurred to him what an influence he was on me musically. It was him that dragged me to the gold mine. It was him that was playing me jazz fusion and everything in his house and, uh, and me supporting him as a musician everywhere, wherever he played bass, whatever bands, I went, I went with him. Now, um, we, all, we all used to go to the gold mine together with all the South End art and fashion crowd, all our friends from there, plus you had all the St. Martin's fashion lot and all the art lot come down there. The gold mine was like beyond belief. But what happened is, is when that kind of wedge haircut, white yeah. sock kind of all that kind of silliness that kind of came in at the end of the end of the 70s started coming into the soul scene with all the all dayers and, and all the silly dancing going on when all that lot suddenly started coming in the it was like oil and water that real ultra heavy fashion crowd did, didn't really mix it, it, you could I, I could see it as clear as a bell at the time you almost kind of knew that they were going to leave oh, and, and, yeah. and by god they did leave hello i've interrupted the podcast again haven't i sorry it won't take a sec all i want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast if we can't play them it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear the songs just go over to 
Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up and get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Well, of course, it also coincided at the same time as the Blitz happening in London, which was the, if you like, the home of New Romantic, certainly the home of the, the heaviest fashion you've ever seen in your, in your so life. This, this well, is well, Steve Strange's Steve Strange, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, what was interesting was exactly the same time that the Blitz was happening, the, the, uh, I think they called it the Futurist Night or something here, uh, it was it was basically the Essex people that were going to the Blitz uh, and were and were enmeshed within all that kind of London, you know, going to the, you know, um, you know, to the to these Bowie nights and Club for Heroes, Club for Heroes, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Club Club for Heroes was a little bit later. That was Camden Palace, wasn't it? Yeah, Club, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit later, Club for. So they they kind of took the, the, the those that were going to the Blitz kind of did their own thing here uh, uh, at Crocs, and uh, it was quite it was see, people have got no idea it was so decadent it was really dark and very decadent that whole scene it was quite it, it was quite edgy I mean I'd never even seen anyone take drugs or anything like that but there was a there was this kind of a a smell of poppers in the air in in here, where, wherever you went, and there was, and um, you know that expression, the freaks come out at night, yeah. and that that was the case here. You know, you you had the, you had the the real kind of high highest of the higher fashion crowd. You know that blitz crowd used to come here as well. It wasn't just us going there; they came here. It was almost like a sister club, and I'm really surprised that it's not been notated more than it has in the history yeah. of this whole thing. We've we've spoke at length yeah. many times that you know we feel that. This place sometimes doesn't get the recognition, yeah. you know, that it's had a, a, a you know, a, a really strong impact on on yeah. youth culture and and, uh, and 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 the alternative scene. Well, 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 yeah, but then you see, all the all you ever heard about was the Blitz and the Rum Runner. That's all you ever heard yeah. about. Was it? What about Crocs? Yeah. It, it was. It, it felt dangerous in here because because you had the. Um, yeah, so you had the real kind of higher, higher, higher than higher fashion crowd, the most outrageous fashion you've ever seen, <clears throat> and there'd be and the, there'd be rockabillies in here. There'd be uh, the mustachioed leather boys. Yeah. There would be those um, into bondage, you know. So and, and you you had all that you had all that as well, all that kind of bondage thing happening and was, in here. Was was like Depeche Mode playing here at this point? Uh, just a little bit before. I mean, yeah, Dave. Was, was certainly here as a punter because you know we all we were all we all used to come here. Yeah. Um, but what happened is is because that lot did a mass exodus from the gold mine, I didn't, uh, and I, f- I found myself for a while going there on my own because by then I was so bitten by that music. And my friend Paul was 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 coming here, so I was going to Randy's house, and rather than him being playing me jazz fusion and and, and that kind of stuff, all of a sudden he was now playing me. The latest releases on Rough Trade, and yeah. and he was playing me, you know, the uh, Susan the Banshees and the Bunny Men and stuff like that, and um, you know, Warm Leatherette by the Normal and oh, or, or, you know TVOD, 
Um, and, and, and I didn't really understand it. I, I kind of liked it because by, by, by that time I was at college anyway and you was hearing so much more music around and so my mind was, was very much more open. But I, I kind of, I came to Crocs because of, just, just because he was my friend, just, I was going with him just because he, he was my friend and he was going there. So, because I, I was still going to the gold mine and going to see Bob Jones uh, up in Chelmsford and I was still doing all the soul jazz funk clubs. But also, I kind of, if you like, I had another life of coming to Crocs, etc., etc. And, so, uh, and, and, and it was quite amazing because the same crowd from the gold mine were now here. So I didn't feel out of place when I came here. I knew loads of people. Yeah. But the atmosphere, I have to say once again, the atmosphere, oh dear, talk about edgy. Yeah. Not in a violent way, but it was a... Cutting edge. Yeah, I was a very, very naive young lad, really. And yeah. it was, it was, a, it was a, an eye-opener. So you spoke throughout the whole of this podcast about mm. Paul. Yes. And, uh, and so I've asked you to pick a favourite song from an artist from your hometown. Yes. And, uh, and what have you gone for, Mark? Yeah, it's the, it's the title track of, of Talk Talk's first album. Um, I've been, been friends with Paul since I was four or five years old. And the party's over, right? The party's over. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. title track, the party's over. Now, these days, people tend to overlook their debut album and, and talk about the colour of spring of course, and, yeah. and, and, and all the, the later... Laughing stock and all these. I disagree. Mm. I, I'm with you. Like as much as I adore that band, yeah, them early albums, yeah, it's powerful music. I think, yeah, I don't think there's any gaps on them records. It's got incredible pop sensibilities, yeah, atmosphere, yeah, Holly's voice, just f- phenomenal, yeah, and phenomenal, yeah, like it, and and just I'm. Thankfully, they get the recognition they deserve. Yes, because yeah, they do. They do. It's amazing, isn't it? The amount of all over the world, you know, the biggest kind of indie bands and rock bands, even yeah. that cite Talk Talk as a, yeah. an influence. But um, the reason this this title track means a lot to me was seeing Paul from playing in local rock bands and the ska band on Canvey called Escalator, and and then doing uh, then doing demos for Mark Hollis. I uh, can't remember where the studio was, um, and then them suddenly deciding to, to, it gelled so well that they decided to, to form it as a band. I think they were called Three Hundred Cubs originally. They never recorded under that name, and then they changed uh, the name to Talk Talk when they. But anyway, the, the thing, any because I was with Paul all the time, going to all the clubs, going to wherever he was playing live, always supporting him, and it was beautiful going to up to London on these coaches to, to, to the, um, the showcase nights for when the, when the record labels were, yeah. were coming down to, to check them out. Um, I went to every one of those and such brilliant memories. And, and when they finally got signed, it, it meant as, almost as much to me as it did to, to Paul and the, and, and the band. Um, so I was never so proud of, of a friend. And so that first album will always be very, very special to me. And this track, The Party's Over, it's just kind of dreamlike. It's just kind of... It's just... It's just uh, well, what I don't normally do on the Spotify playlist is, is put other tracks, but obviously this is the, the, the album as well, The Party's Over. Yeah. And for me as a kid, I remember seeing 
uh, Talk Talk and Today. Yeah, oh, Today. Uh, and, Amazing. And, and the track Talk Talk. Yeah, yeah. Talk Talk on, on Top of the Pops. Yeah. And, and just being instantly blown away by Hollis. Yeah. The fact that everybody had backcombed hair and, and theatrics. Yeah. He had a woolly hat on. Yeah. And, 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 and just a T-shirt and a pair yeah. of jeans. Yeah. And he looked like a painter and decorator. Yeah. But fuck me. Just incredible music yeah incredible music and 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 rightly so that you know so many bands cite talk talk as, a, as an influence because yeah. they're as they matured you know that the music was, was was just as good um but yeah I'm, I'm not one of these snobs that that go for the latter ones i, I think the the early stuff and and to, the, to this day if i ever had to pick my my greatest pop record ever. Yeah, I think <clears throat> as much as it's been played today, it's my life. Yeah, by Talk Talk is yeah. one of the greatest pop singles brilliant, ever. Brilliant, it's no, amazing album. Yeah, amazing album, amazing yeah. album. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll put a couple more Talk Talk tracks on the playlist, Mark. Okay, um, and so we're, we're against the clock a little bit. Yes. Um, so this brings us to the last track, which mm. is uh, a song that many may not know, but you'd like them to hear. Yes, and uh, and I haven't heard this yet. No, um, <clears throat> but you're going to love it. I'm, I'm sure if you're you're telling me I'm going to love it, then I will, Mark. So so what is it? Um, it's, it's it was a, a band from Southend called Taming the Outback, and my God Almighty, they just made such a huge impact. They were like an, like an indie indie band, and when was this, mate? This was um, about eighty six, eighty okay. six, and. Every song was memorable um, and uh, like huge hooks. Tony Sampson, the, the lead singer and guitarist, just this wall of sound guitar. They were a trio. You would never have known it. They just, they just sounded like gargantuan. Um, uh, Daryl, the, the, the drummer, was like, like, he had that kind of pounding, kind of killing joke style Lovely. drumming. Like, absolutely enormous. And uh, the bass player, Jason, uh, the late... Jason, a wonderful guy, really tough and rough guy, very unpredictable, um, always in trouble, always fighting, getting drunk and fighting, a, a rough guy, but actually a heart of gold, um, but he didn't show that that often, like, but, but his bass playing, second to none for that style of music, real, dr no nonsense driving bass lines, very melodic, kind of like Peter Hook, in yeah. a way, but that drive, now him and Tony, the lead singer, and band leader if you like no they can't say band leader no because it was their, all of their band together but they, they they never got on at all they're always arguing and uh, it's well and, documented and, and, and fighting you know and but i think that is why their music that's absolutely that's, that's why they made the music and you mentioned peter hook them them kind of conflicts in bands yeah it does drive yeah ultimately it can generally be a downfall of a band yeah. but you will get look at fucking Jagger and Richards, yeah. like you know, yeah. it is that kind of clash of ego, clash of artistic desire, wh whatever you want to call it. When yeah. there's infighting, it it generally does push some of the greatest work out of out of an artist. Oh, I think. mate, you know, they used to rehearse like hell, and they were tight as anything. And the funny thing is, is when they played locally, they hardly drew anyone at all, and yet they were doing about 200 gigs a year, all around the country. And on a couple of occasions, they. It was that those kind of bands where they nearly got signed, you know, like they would kind of blow it, you know, like, um, but you know, I don't know what happened at the, the meetings, you know, but um, they 
and, and when you hear the music, you can see why they were nearly signed. I mean, to me, for alternative music, still to me, the, 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 some of the greatest songs I've ever heard, ever. And, and I was just a fan, you know. I was, it wasn't like they were friends of mine. They became friends of mine, but uh, it was only because I was, it got to the point where I was going to their gigs and I was becoming a, a regular face, if you like, you know, and they, they would talk, talk to me. And um, so, um, and anyway, one day, like a friend of mine, run, he's from Leon C, but he lives in Boston in America and he has, he's got an independent label called Equation Records. And uh, I got a bill into Taming the Outback. They only released one cassette one, and one single and they had an unreleased album which was, was never mixed and loads of live stuff. We managed to collate all this stuff. I, I, I found all the guys and said, you know, can we, I talked Bill into putting out, uh, it wasn't hard to talk him into it, but to, to actually put a, 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 a CD together of everything they ever recorded. Because Bill said he, he loved the music so much that he, he didn't mind if, uh, if it sold 10 copies or 1,000 yeah. copies. He said, it's, just, it's just got to come out. Yeah. They, 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 they caused a national sensation in, in the press by their publicity. As you can see, look at the front cover of the CD there. That was their, they, they crucified themselves at Hadley Castle, and that was in the national newspapers, not just the local ones. It was, a, it was considered a really shocking image at the time. It's a strong image. It's a strong image. And, I'll, and I'll put a picture up... Um, on, on the social media of this when this comes out so you can uh, go and have a look at it because it's uh, yeah it's pretty harrowing isn't it it's quite harrowing yeah yeah um, and it was actually taken by I think I can tell, say now it was actually taken by the in-house photographer of the Evening Echo at the time but it, it, on, on the understanding that he wasn't to say who it was well, I think there was a few in-house photographers yeah. anyway it, it was done there at Hadley Castle on the Salvation Army gr ground. Uh, but anyway, but that made national newspapers as a scandal. How dare they and all this kind yeah. of stuff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we must ban them. And, you know, Brilliant. It was in Sounds and Enemy and all, all, all that. You know, Fantastic was, yeah, publicity. Yeah, amazing publicity. And um, So what happened to them? They just Im imploded. It just imploded. Well, they, the infighting and... Yeah, the infighting. They, they got back together again. I think, from what I understand, it was me bumping into them in the street and convincing them that they were still incredible. And I think they tried a few more gigs. And Tony, the lead singer and guitarist, ended up smashing his guitar on, up on stage after the second number somewhere at some venue in Shoebury near Southend. Uh, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. But, yeah, he just smashed his guitar. I know that was the end of that. Um... <laughs> The Jason, when, when we put this CD out, Jason, the bass player, wasn't that... First of all, he was interested in it coming out, and then it, it kind of... I think he had um, bad memories of those days, and it, yeah. and, it, and it became a bit of an issue with him, because I interviewed all three of them for this CD. There's a, it's the only kind of major interview they ever did. It was a long interview. And so all the waltz and all is in that, in that CD as well. But I'm really proud of that CD, because... It was just the fact that it was music that I, I always felt that Taming the Outback should should be. I really, honestly, truly do believe that they should they should be considered one of the greats of, in the alternative music world. Well, I'm gonna, uh, and yet they're they're a little there they are on this little well, secret band. You know. Well, we're gonna play a track by it at the end of this podcast yes. anyway, so yeah. um, people can uh, can get to hear what they 
they can't find because they're, they're not on Spotify, so unfortunately they won't be on the playlist, but yeah. we'll drop a track in at the end of this. Um, so bringing it right up to now, Mark. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, I've, I've just come, just been doing a, just come back from a nine-week tour uh, with Lisa Stansfield. I, I've played with her ever since she started in 1990. I've done every gig she's ever done. And in actual fact, I j I, uh, her latest album which is the first time I've ever been involved in a top 20 album, was, was I co-produced that. So it was wow. deeper. Yeah, I co-produced it. And um, it was exciting. It went in at number nine, the first day of release, and we was all hoping it was going to stay there. But it, by the end of that first week, it, just, it dropped to 14. But it's a different beast these days, the charts, yeah. isn't it? Very but although so. the album charts matter still. I don't yeah. think the single, we all know single charts yeah. don't matter whatsoever. But the album charts, I still think, are as varied. It's like if they ever did revive Top of the Pops, which I hope they don't, but if they did... Oh, man, this is the bit. This is the bit where the battery ran out. But I can tell you now, there was no tears shed. Um, Snowboy was, was totally fine with it. He had to go and pick his daughter up from a dance class anyway but um the battery ran out so um as you could tell by where we'd got to in the conversation the the track list was was complete and, and we was just doing a little bit of what you've been up to and he was talking about his recent tours with with lisa stansfield and how he's about to head back out to the states to to do another tour with her and 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 uh yeah and so this was the track um that that mark said was the the track that he wanted to to, um, to to play out on, which was, uh, well, I'll tell you what it is. This is it. Enjoy it. Crank it up, 76, because it is a banger.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.